Hey, it's present Mike filling in for past Mike. Our audio has gotten so much better. Thanks for sticking around with us. So we're going to talk about some cards that are really underplayed. We each think that we're bringing some really interesting cards to the table. And if you want to grab them or any other cards, you can help us out in the process. We have partnered with TCGplayer.com. So if you're looking for any singles, sealed product, deck boxes, sleeves, playmats, really anything to spice up your game experience, go to bit.ly slash EDH social or click on the link in our show notes. You don't pay anything extra, and you'll really help us out by buying all the things you are going to anyway. That's bit.ly slash EDH social, or click the link in our show notes. Back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Social Contract uh, Commander Podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and joining me is my co-host, Alex Lapp. Alex, what is up, man? Not too much. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, let's let's talk about why this exists, why we're doing this. Um, I talk with you a lot about magic, and most of that is uh, me texting you with a picture of a card or some weird interaction that I don't know how it works, uh, because you are a judge, and you know a lot more about this stuff than I do. Uh, I think we actually had one today where it was essentially like uh, the new Zendikar legend, uh, Ashaya. It's like, hey, creatures are forests. Does that make landfall work? And obviously in my head, there's no way. And you told me that it does. And I went, oh, oh, I have to, I have to, I have to go do some things now. Um, so we have yeah, a lot of fun talking about, yeah, how it works. Uh, and thought maybe other people would like that too, you know? Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's lots of content out there for deck building, you know, card set reviews, competitive strategy, everything like that. And we're not here to take away from any of those content creators. You know, we, we watch, we listen, they're great. Uh, what we're, you know, more aiming for is talking about like how to have more fun with your commander games, with your play group, uh, Obviously, fun is something different to everyone, but we're looking uh, more at the enjoyment in all phases, how to enjoy deck building more, how to enjoy playing with your group. Sometimes we'll get into the nitty gritty of deck const uh, construction. Sometimes we'll look at, you know, how do I interact and, you know, play better in games. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, what can we do to make the best version of Magic an even more enjoyable experience? Uh, I think our our mission statement for this uh, podcast and frankly, just anytime we're playing with our play groups is, you know, we like to win, but we love to play. Right. Exactly. So uh, I guess at that point, you know, uh, you, like I said, you are a judge. There are different levels. I don't know what any of them mean, um, but, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, a little bit about being a judge and then why you like commander itself. Why, what draws you to this format over other ones? Sure. Uh, being a judge is 
nothing so fancy. It's basically doing a lot of studying and taking some exams. They've really streamlined the process uh, last year when they switched over from Judge Apps, which was more of an official Wizards of the Coast endorsed kind of thing. Uh, at the end of last year, there was a big changeover. Uh, all of the judges are being changed over to Judge Academy, which is an independent organization that has uh, dues-paying membership. Although uh, recently they just had an announcement that due to COVID, they're going to be making some changes there, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, they've they've really kind of streamlined that process. Now there's a website with training and courses and what you need to do. And, and that kind of stuff never really existed before. Uh, you pretty much had to find yourself another judge and, and sort of get their help to, to, to get there. But being a judge is, is fun just in a casual way. I like being a judge uh, just for Friday night magic, uh, whether that's standard or commander or for local uh, tournament judged uh, many different, not any, not anything fancy like a Grand Prix or anything like that, but I've done local tournaments for modern and legacy and, and various other formats. And uh, I mean, being a judge is something very enjoyable because I get to help other people play the game of magic and understand the game of magic. And pretty much in, in every thing that I do, whether it's uh, another aspect of my life, I used to I used to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I was a DM. That had a lot of rules lawyering. This has a lot of rules lawyering. There's a lot of crossover there. And I think that's that's one aspect that I enjoy uh, quite a bit about being a judge. Why do I like Commander? Commander is something totally unique to me. Um, I mean, there's so many different other card games besides Magic the Gathering. There's Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And, and all of those other games. None of them have anything like Commander, a casual format that has a social contract in the game and that you can express yourself through your deck building and through your gameplay in a way that doesn't necessarily require that you be a competitive player that's just going for the win. You can have a good time. And that's really what this podcast is about. Uh, if you if you were to ask me what my favorite aspect of Commander is, it would be the social aspect, playing with people I've never met, playing with people I know very well, teaching people the game, having fun, and and within the game, uh, the game of politics. I love some politics. I'm sure we're going to talk about that extensively <laughs> in uh, in future episodes if we have those. But uh, yeah, that's. I hope that answers your question. No, absolutely. And I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, it's it's weird. I feel like with as much of a essentially a database there is for Magic the Gathering and as many cards that they made versus the very small amount that they've actually banned for uh, EDH and Commander, yeah. it has to be one of the most, if not the most complicated game that just exists. The, the amount of combinations and things that can happen, mm-hmm. it's, it's so staggering. But the reason that I like this game is the same way that it's, I think it's tying to the same way that you do. It's, it's about the actual social interaction, and you mentioned it before. It's a casual game. It's about 
enjoying and having fun with this crazy assortment of all these different things that you can do and rules and don't get me started on how and why the stack works or doesn't and state-based <laughs> actions versus triggers versus that's yeah. why I talk to you. I mean, I talk to you because you're a cool guy, but I also talk to you because you're really good at dumbing down a lot of that stuff for me. Um, you, you mentioned that it's not, you know, being a judge is not one of those things that's, you know, all crazy and everything like that. And then also mention the fact that it basically used to be the secret society where you had to know one to figure out how to be one. But now there's actually kind of a status quo as far as we'll do this, do this and figure this out and we'll give you an exam. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see if you like it. So yeah, it really, when I was a judge and, and I became a judge very recently, I think I was in 2017, I became a judge. Um, <laughs> I, I went on uh, the Judge S website, which is the old website for, for judges and scheduling and, and all the things that judges need to do. And you had to apply for an account there and that account had to be manually approved. And so I just kind of applied for an account and then I just left it for a few months and I'm like, hey, this isn't really going anywhere. I think I need to get in touch personally with somebody who knows what's going on. And you're right, it really is kind of a secret society. But looking back to what you were saying earlier, about how complicated of a game Magic is, and by extension, how complicated of a game Commander is, simply because of the uh, absurd number of legal cards. I think they're, I mean, 99.99 something percent of the cards that have ever been printed in Magic are legal in Commander. And that's to the tune of 20,000 cards plus. And the sheer number of interactions that can happen in any given game of Commander is not only a delight to me personally, but it is excellent, excellent floor training for a judge. I mean, judges like to do a lot of strange things to, to sort of flex their minds. You may have heard of the Judge Tower format, which is a format that has a lot of extremely esoteric rules that really only exist to try to trip judges up and and try to get us to to have all of our uh, rules and bylaws memorized, such as uh, in Judge Tower, X always equals five. And if you ever have a choice, you must resolve immediately. I'm not really going to get into that, but the fact of the matter is that Commander is an excellent way for for me to expand my knowledge and to, and to test my knowledge in an ongoing way. And just serving as a judge for casual games of Commander as silly as that may sound, I think has really improved my rules knowledge very dramatically just because there's so many different ways that the game pieces can interact. That makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun format for whatever you're looking for, regardless if you're competitive, you like just building things and seeing if they work, uh, kind of a deck tinkerer or just sitting down and having an excuse to hang out with friends. Um, so on that, uh, you know, kind of looking into some of the ways that we want to enjoy the game that we play and help other people enjoy it more. And even just, you know, the world's kind of on fire right now. So yeah. just just looking into a little bit of the things that can be more fun. Um, so this is something, in it again, it's the first episode, guys. So everything is a workshop process here. 
Um, but I'm calling this segment uh, something old, something new. Uh, you've been playing longer than I have and obviously have a more expertise uh, on how things work. So I'm going to come from, you know, people that are just getting started or, you know, kind of examining new ways to play commander from kind of that, you know, not rookie necessarily, but just kind of like leaning into this more uh, state. And you as someone who, you know, has a better grasp of the game and uh, uh, more experienced kind of how you would, you know, explain and advise somebody uh, that's dealing with, you know, somebody who wants to deal with new interactions to a game that they feel like they've done everything with. Um, how about you start? Okay. Uh, my tip for more experienced or veteran players is play jankier decks and play jankier cons. It is so easy as a veteran player to sort of get into this rut of building the new powerful commanders, new powerful decks, and continuously improving your decks with stronger and stronger cards. And as you're able to save up more money and trade into more expensive cards, like staples, uh, ABUR dual mats, things like that, just powering up your decks continuously. It's, it feels good to do that but that can that can be kind of a problem because suddenly you'll realize that you have a bunch of decks that can only go up against high power decks let's say you're punching it at a, at a seven or an eight but maybe a bunch of people at your lgs or in your play group have decks that are around the uh, pre-com level in the, in the threes fours and fives area maybe they made their first deck and it's around a three and no matter how slow roll you play your your bomb eight deck, it's never going to be an interesting game or a fair fight. Um, but all that aside, playing jankier decks is just fundamentally enjoyable. There are so many commanders out there that people just overlook because they don't necessarily fit into a archetype very well, or if they do fit into an archetype, it's one of the inferior archetypes that people don't really like to play. Um, I haven't made a deck in, in a long time, about a year, but my most recent deck that I've created is uh, Nin the Pain Artist, and the theme of the deck is Group Hug Burn, and I'm sure that we'll touch on this more, but both uh, Mike and myself are great fans of Group Hug, and Group hug's only one archetype, so for me, I love the archetype so much, it's really easy for me to to just want to make the same group hug deck over and over and, and just do that <laughs> over and over and over and, and build the same kind of deck. But one thing that I've really enjoyed is is sort of going into the weeds there. I'm like, okay, I've I've made this kind of group hug deck. What about a kind of group hug deck with than the pain artist. So if we don't know Nin the Pain Artist, I'll go ahead and push it off. <clears throat> Nin the Pain Artist is a legendary creature Vidalcan Wizard. She costs blue red. She's a one-one. And she has a single activated ability for X blue red and tap. Nin the Pain Artist deals X damage to target creature. That creature's controller draws X cards. Uh, that's a pretty wacky ability, right? Like there's there's yeah. no immediate strategy that 
stands out when you read that. You think, okay, well, it's it's drawing cards, so I want to do that to my own stuff. But when I read target creatures controller or that creatures controller draws these cards, what I immediately thought is I can force other people to draw cards and I can do that while also getting rid of prop creatures. I can experiment in that in weird ways. And, and the deck kind of evolved from there. Um, I really like playing that deck now, even though it's not very good. But that's just one example of what I would recommend is uh, just just take a trip through Scryfall or through Trek and uh, look up some commanders that are just way down on the list that don't really have a strategy that people uh, would would think of as good or viable. And just build a fun deck with it. Alternatively, you can pick a very popular commander. Um, another one of my decks, and I really don't want to stretch our time here too much, but I'll touch on it briefly. Another one of my decks is, is Helm by Vanifar, who's an extremely, extremely powerful commander. She's a CEDH level commander. But I, I was actually, yeah, I was actually going to bring this this uh, particular deck up because I've, I've seen you play it and it fits into your theme where it's uh, like, yeah, it's a very powerful commander, but you put this different spin on it and these own like self restrictions that make it a fun deck to actually play and play against. Um, yeah, I'm really ahead. glad yeah, you sorry. said that because self-imposed restrictions is a really important way to to make your deck jankier and it's a fun limitation. Um, people always say that limitations breed creativity and in my experience that is absolutely true. If you impose a limitation, in this case, for uh, for my Vanifar deck, who I'll, I'll read her in a second for those who aren't familiar with her, um, my restriction is that the deck can only have lands and creatures. Can't have any other kind of permanent. There's no instance, there's no sorceries, nothing like that. I think it has 63 or 64 creatures in it. And also there's no infinite combos. So basically it's the world's most delightful toolbox deck that is just constantly fetching out all sorts of fun political and group hug cards. And it's still incredibly powerful. I think it might still be too powerful, even with not a single spell that isn't a creature or without a single infinite combo, because as I'm sure uh, people who have have seen Benefar before know, that as soon as you're Resolver, if you give her haste, you can pretty much win on the spot. Um, I'll go ahead and, and read her briefly. I don't. I don't want to touch on this for too long. I don't want to cannibalize our time. But Prime Speaker Benifar is no. Go for it. Man. Is a legendary creature, Elf Ooze Wizard, for two green blue. She's a two four, and she has an activated ability: tap and sacrifice another creature. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to one plus that sacrificed creature's converted mana cost. Put that card in the battlefield. Shuffle your library only when you could activate a sorcery. So she's birthing pod. Um, and Birthing Pot is is an infamous card. That card, it was banned out of Modern because with Birthing Pot and with Vanifar, there are a lot of creatures that you can get that will sort of chain, right? Like, she'll find a creature, CMC 1 or 2, and that'll untap her. She'll tap again to stack that and find another thing that untaps her or does a bunch of other stuff. And you can basically chain in such a way that you can either win the game immediately or put yourself in a ridiculously advantageous position. But that's that's the easy way to build that deck, in my opinion. Because, I mean, 
there's only so many cards that do that. You you basically, I'm not going to disparage net decking because net decking is a really important tool for people who are new to building decks to sort of round out their deck. It's, it's, it, that's, that's not a bad thing in my opinion, but if you're, if you're a veteran player, if you're an experienced player, net decking, I think can be a trap because if you net deck Vanifar deck, you're probably going to end up with this really, really powerful deck that's just going to pop right off. It's going to be like power level nine, at least. And uh, one complaint that you might have is that it's going to play the exact same way every time because you're going to have to chain to the exact same creature each time. That creature will chain to the next creature. That creature will chain to the next creature. And then you'll win the game. It plays the same way. The way that I play Vanifar, it never plays the same way. I'm always getting some kooky-ass creature. And so to, to wrap things up, and, and I'm really rambling on this part, um, limitation free <laughs> creativity, and you don't have to play a janky commander to make a janky deck. But you certainly can. That does help. Um, that would be my, my recommendation uh, for this episode to, to entrench veteran players. Just have fun with your deck building. It doesn't have to be a powerful deck. At all, it's 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 the uh, it's the conversation between interesting and powerful, and and sometimes you want to have a good. Well, I mean, more times than not, you want to have a decent combination of the two. Um, but I liken it to what they say about like if you want to get better at tennis, play somebody that's a little bit better than you. Right. Because if you have like like you said before, if you come to the table and you've got a nine and you're playing against a bunch of sixes, well, they're not going to have a whole lot of fun unless they basically gang up on you. And you're probably not going to have fun curb stomping all of them. So it, it turns into, you know, how can I make, how can I make this game, this deck, this idea as interesting as possible, as interactive as possible, as fun as possible. And like you said, uh, Vanifar is one of those super combo-y just, Okay, here's you know here's the chain of events that always happens. I haven't seen you play the same creature following the same <laughs> creature following the same. I, I haven't seen yeah. that once. That's well, that's the benefit of you know having what'd you say sixty three yeah, creatures. That's in the, the beauty back. of having that many creatures. You never yeah. have to get the same creature twice. Yeah, and it's it's more fun to say. Uh, you know what? I think this table could go ahead and use a veteran explorer trigger. So we're going to kill that veteran explorer. We're going to find something for two. What? I don't know yet. How about we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, great. Sounds it, oh, I, the first time I saw you play that card. Uh, and and tempting worm is. You know what? We're going to let other people find that card if they haven't found it on their own. Or maybe we'll bring it up at a different point. Um, so something for uh, newer players. Um, so it. It's kind of on the same lines because it is a deck building tip. Um, I am going to uh, just advise caution, you know, flashing lights here. Uh, do not fall into the same trap that I have uh, and usually do at least twice every time I build a new deck. Beware magical Christmas land. Oh, yeah. Um, if, you're making, if you're making a deck based off of one interaction – or a couple of cards in particular, or if the deck, even to a lesser extent, has to have the commander out to do what you want to do, 
there's a good chance you're going to be disappointed about 85% of the time that you're playing. Unless you run a bunch of tutor cards to specifically get those pieces, you're going to have to luck into what you want way more than you like. Um, and then when the planets do finally align and you get all these pieces together, keep in mind, um, there's a bunch of other people at the table that probably don't want you to do exactly what you want to do <laughs> all the time. Um, I have this rule of thumb that I've kind of self-imposed and I'm, I'm happy for you to edit with me or even add on to it. Um, if I am building a deck and I want to look at this cool interaction, it has to meet at least these two criteria. One, are these cards that I want to put in together good enough to go into the deck on their own? So if it's a, oh, I have to have this card for this card, that's not great, you know? Um, because again, you're, you're getting a little too into the weeds as far as, well, if I have these starting cards in my hand, everything is great. And then you're either making an extremely competitive deck or you're making a deck where you're just going to be frustrated because you only have one of the combo pieces for the one thing that you want to do and why you made the deck in particular. Um, and then the second thing is how many things have to go right for me to play this interaction that I'm looking for? If the answer is three or more, I'm probably just not going to do it. You know, if it's something where I have to get a specific card to combo with another specific card, well, that means I have to draw those cards. So that's two. Then I have to make sure that I have this obscene amount of mana if it's like a seven cast or a five cast card, uh, a seven cast and a five cast card separate. Well, that's a whole lot to be able to generate unless I know I'm going to do that consistently. Maybe that's not something I should be doing. Also, do I have to have both of these cards out in the same turn? Do... I have to have one of these cards out and hope it survives through a turn for me to play the next card and then somebody to say, oh, that's a problem. I'm going to go ahead and blow up that other thing that you wanted. Sorry. Well, great. I guess at that point I can hope that I can get it from the graveyard or figure – it's just there's too many variables on I want to do this thing plus this thing to make me happy and love the idea of, aha, I will play my Niv-Mizet, and I will play Curiosity on him. And if that's what you want to do, great. But people are aware of that, and maybe that's a bad example because Niv-Mizet has, like, seven of those different cards that just make everybody sad if you have Niv-Mizet and play it. Also, he's just a really powerful card. But the point is, is that you don't base everything on why you're putting cards into a deck off of as long as A and B and C and D are in place, then I will really like this decision that I've made. Do something else. It, honestly, every deck could probably use a, cu a couple more basics. So do that. Yeah, that's, that's excellent advice, Mike. Um, when, when I think about two cards in a deck interacting and neither of those cards are the commander and you're not playing a deck with black in it and a bunch of tutors where you're going, you're digging for your infinite combo pieces. So we're just talking about your typical magical Christmas signed interaction. That is never worth investing in under any circumstances. And some people would go even farther than that. Some people would say, 
that you shouldn't even build your deck or your commander is very important or necessary for your game plan. I wouldn't quite go that far. I would say that if your deck needs your commander in play, you need to have a full protection package, which is, I'd say, at least 10 to 12 pieces of protection for your commander because you need to always have one, right? You need to always have that Swift Food Boots or that Vanishing or that Gift of Immortality or Darksteel Plane. Whatever you, whatever your pet card is for protecting your commander. If your commander is part of your game plan, it is, you can't expect your commander to remain on the battlefield unless you have that protection package. And if you're going for two random cards in your deck, you can just forget about that. That's never going to happen. Right. Everything is based off of, oh, if I have these pieces in place, something very cool will happen. Well, everybody else is going to see that as well. So they're also going to try and probably not let those right. things happen. Um, the, the recent example that I had of this, and I actually, it, it's, again, I'm really good at coming up with poor examples here because I ended up putting them in the deck, was Skyclave Relic and Brutaclad. Because they have what I think is a pretty interesting trigger where Skyclave Relic, three mana artifact, kicker for three, it's indestructible. When it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, create two tapped uh, tokens that are copies of Skyclave Relic. And they're basically all just Darksteel ingots. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love the idea of putting Brutaclad in this deck and, oh man, I can go to combat and I can make more Skyclave Relics. And then... If those things survive, oh, wait, they're indestructible. They will survive. Ha-ha! And then I, I had to do the, hold on a second. How into the weeds am I getting here? Well, it's a tokens deck, so I'm very comfortable with putting Brutaclad in there, and a three-mana indestructible rock, I'm fine with that. Those can both go in separately, so I'm comfortable with being there together. And then, you know, how, how many things do I have to find for this to actually work? Well, here's the point. If they're good enough to go in on their own, and you wouldn't pull one, or you wouldn't pull both if you had to pull one, then go for it. You know, have fun with it. And same thing with, you know, keeping things janky. If you got ways to find it, feel free. Um, I don't know about you. I don't have a ton of leftover cash to try and find, you know, a bunch of vampiric tutors to put in every black deck that I have. I, I don't have a vampiric tutor because, frankly, it's just not that fun to me. I don't want to find the piece and make the thing happen. Um, I'll be competitive a different way. Uh, but, you know, little interactions are great. Don't base everything around it. And if it is your commander, yeah, you got to protect it, which means you're putting a ton of cards into your deck to protect your commander, which are cards that you're not putting in for ramp or card draw or a bunch of other things. So make sure you really want to do it if you do it. That's a really good point about uh, tutors. I, if, if I had a second tip for veteran players, it would be run fewer tutors in your deck. Um there is a tutor that I'm going to talk about in a bit here, but I think that's uh, that's kind of the exception that proves the rule. If you're in a black deck, it yeah. uh, it really would be tempting to run five, six, seven tutors, just all the tutors, because sure. 
you have the power. You can found any card in your deck. But that's, yeah, it's going to make your deck way more consistent. It's going to make it way stronger. And you're going to find the pieces that you need to find every time. But I think part of the magic of Commander is the fact that it's a singleton format, the inconsistency and how every game plays out a little differently. I think we've all had that experience where you add a new card to your deck. It might be like six or seven games before you even see that card. I think that experience is valuable. We We also have that... We all have that. It, this is this isn't even on our docket, uh, but we're kind of getting into it. We also have that interaction where somebody new, or you'll sit down with a new group, something along those lines, and you all pull out your decks, and somebody will bring out Nekusar, and everybody at the table will, or somebody will um, bring out a Talran deck, and it's just oh, you're just not going to let me play Magic this something like that. So. If you can find a way to be more, you know, against the trend on that, that's going to be a really fun interaction for you and everybody else at the table, even if it's something that's more powerful than they're used to. If it's something that they haven't seen, well, that's going to get somebody's attention. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, you already kind of referenced it. Um, I've went through and probably changed the actual title of this segment. I want to say about seven times at this point. Um, the one that I've settled on for the time being is, wait, can I see that? Um, it's just uh, talking about cards that are either um, something that you don't see as often as you think you should, uh, or even just you know a replacement card for something that's more expensive. Uh, you referred to a tutor um, that I'm actually a big fan of. Why don't you talk about yeah, that? Yeah, this is my favorite tutor. And I know that uh, recently there was a uh, Commander's Quarters episode where Mitch showed everybody this card. I've been playing this card for a lot longer than that, so haha. This card is called Guided Passage. It's a sorcery, and it costs yep. uh, green, blue, red. And Guided Passage says, reveal the cards in your library. An opponent chooses from among them a creature card, a land card, and a non-creature, non-land card. So that's a instant sorcery, planeswalker, uh, artifact, or enchantment. Put the chosen cards into your hand and then shuffle your library. So this is a sorcery. This is a tutor. It's not in black. It's not like any tutor that exists. This is by far the most unique tutor I've ever found. It's it's a tutor that makes your opponents make the decision for you. And it will be your opponents because even though it, you do choose uh, a, a single opponent, the fact of the matter is that you're revealing, you, you reveal your whole deck, which is just the most delightful thing. I really enjoy when other people look at my deck, when they think about how my deck works, when they look at your cards in my deck, uh, when they appreciate the handicraft that went into the deck and the thought all of that has an opportunity to happen because now you're forcing all of your friends to look at your deck, to look at every single card in your deck. It's part of the game. You have to do it, which I think is just delightful. The next best thing is that you get three cards and your immediate thought is 
that they're going to give you the three worst cards in your deck. They're going to give you your maybe a mana dork or a creature. If it's early in the game, maybe they'll give you like a 12 drop that you can't afford to play. And maybe they'll give you a uh, some kind of artifact or enchantment that you that you can't play. The fact of the matter is that if you've built your deck properly, it's not going to be possible for them to get three cards that you don't want to have. Maybe you can't play those cards right now. But if you built your deck right, you're not going to get those three cards and be like, oh, I can't believe they gave me those cards. Because the cards that you would say, oh, those cards, you didn't put those cards in your deck, I hope. So this <laughs> this is a three-mana tutor that always it always wins. It always hits three cards. And I just think it's delightful. I love everything about this card. It's fantastic. It costs a buck fifty for the original Apocalypse version. It's it's just the best. Now the casting cost is restrictive. You have to be in at least teamer. So if you're playing Teamer or uh Tiro, non-black, or you're playing five color or whatever any number of other combinations that include green, blue, red. Yes, that is restrictive. However, if you are in those colors, I would heavily recommend playing Guided Passage. I mean, three mana for three cards, that, that's good anywhere. So the fact that, um, uh, you know, you're revealing your deck, okay, fine. Maybe Maybe that reveals a little bit more of your strategy than you'd want to if it's a group that doesn't know it very much. Uh, but you actually left out my favorite part about this card. Um, you reveal your deck to all your opponents. One of them chooses. But the best part is when those other two opponents are basically looking over mm -hmm. his shoulder and saying, no, don't give him that one every time he puts down one of the options. You let them debate, and you're just sitting there saying, I mean, okay, fun, yeah. great. Whatever you guys decide, I, I just wanted to get some cards. Yeah, the confirmed and just yeah you you almost get to be at a point where they get mad at somebody else for giving you cards when you're the one who put them in that position it's not your fault it is but you don't get blamed for it uh which is a a, a fun little political thing um so speaking of uh speaking of politics there is one yeah. last way that this card can be played and that is okay uh it's the last round Somebody has lethal on board. They have their combo minus one on board. Whatever they have, they're threatening to win the game. Yeah. But you're not in a black deck. You can't find the card that you need to find when you need to find it. Guided passages. Hey, guys, that player is going to win next turn unless. You get me this specific card out of my deck. Please get me this card. And yeah, they're probably going to get you that card just so the game can keep going. And I think that's awesome. Right. Yeah, don't pick the guy who's oh, yeah, about to win. But other than that, <laughs> pretty pretty yeah. good call. Um, so, hey, I, we're, we're talking about having more fun. And we're, we're definitely a, a, a pro group hug uh podcast oh, yeah. here uh seal of approval on group hug but to get into the uh, a little bit of the nitty-gritty 
Hey, Alex, what's the biggest problem with mono white? Can't rap, can't draw. So the biggest problem is that it's bad at the two things that you want to do most in Commander. So I want to talk about a card called Oath of Lieges. Um, on, on EDH Rec, uh, which, again, if, if this isn't a resource that you're using, go to EDHREC.com, and holy cow, the amount of information and help that you can get is ridiculous. This card... There's over 200,000 white decks on EDH Rec. This is in 0.006% of those decks. <laughs> Mike, if there's one thing that For... I've learned about Magic players, it's that they are so afraid of a symmetric effect, of giving any advantage, even in theory to their opponent, that they are willing to give up even very powerful effects like the one you're about to talk about, just to avoid that possibility. And I think that's a real nice opportunity. We're, pro we're probably going to have an entire uh, podcast episode, oh, yeah. if not oh, yeah. multiple, talk about why that mentality is wrong. So let's, in let's different hear about stages. Oath of Lieges. Um, yeah, so Oath of Lieges is an enchantment for a one colorless and a white. During each player's upkeep, if that player controls fewer lands than target opponent, the player may search his or her library for a basic land card and put that land into play. That player shuffles his or her library afterwards. So this is a card that I don't understand is not in every white deck that does not have green in it, and possibly even then. Um, if you're playing white, if you're playing Boros, if you're playing any combination that doesn't have green, and there's a green player at the table, they're going to have more lands mm -hmm. than you. That's what they're supposed to do. If you're just going third in the turn order, you're likely going to have a player that has more lands than you. And this is something where we talk about the politics game. No one wants to kill the guy that's in a position to keep up with whoever's in the lead. And more than that, everybody wants to kill the guy that destroys the thing that was keeping everybody on the same page. So this is an ability to literally bring in a basic land untapped at the beginning of your turn and play another land on your regular turn for your a traditional, you know, play a land. It's, it's, I don't. I don't understand it. I, I, I get the, like I said, we'll get into it more in the future here. Um, but I, at the very least, I don't understand how this is not a Boros staple. I don't understand how it's not a Jeskai staple. Any Anybody that has a hard time drawing cards, that's one thing. But there is literally something right here that says, hey, instead of, you know, hoping to struggle to get what you need to just even keep up or having 15 different mana rocks in your deck so you can only be slightly behind everybody else. I it just, I love this card. Uh, I, I want to say it's about 350. Um, so, you know, maybe depending on how many decks you have, you're not putting it in every single one. But there has not been a time I've played Oath of Lieges and I've been upset about it. There's been times that I've played it, and I've had the most lands 
But all that ends up happening is I pass my turn. Next person gets a land. Next person gets a land. Next person gets a land. Comes back to me. I no longer have the first, or the most amount of lands. Okay, now I'll trigger it. Just make the game go faster. Make everybody be able to do more than they were planning on. They're probably not going to try and kill you for it. And if they do, it's because, well, the card worked. And now you're in a better position than you would have been otherwise. Yeah, Oath of Leaves is a fantastic pick. We're only now, in 2020, starting to get cards that approximate or are similar to this level of equanimity of balance if you'll forgive the the white joke uh of of the white effect that white has always been allowed to do but has seldom been permitted to do for a slice of the color pie and that is catching up on lands compared to your opponents and that effects like here's compare this to land tax Land tax is the is a yeah. enchantment for a single white, and it says at the beginning of your upkeep, if an opponent controls more lands than you, search your library for three basic land cards, put them into your hand. This card is super popular. This is one of the most popular cards in white. Tons of decks run this. It's an expensive card. It's like twenty five dollars. It used to be twice that much. People love this card. It's great. But they love Lantex. They don't look at Oath of Leges, which is a very similar effect. But oh no, it's symmetric. But the upshot is you get to put it straight onto the battlefield untapped. And people won't even look at it. And I agree, we should have a full episode about why people are averse to group hug effects. Because the secret of group hug, I'll give you the preview right here, the the true power of group hug is that Wizards of the Coast R&D thinks that helping your opponents is a bad thing. It's a downside. And so what they do is they reduce the cost of those effects because that's a bad thing. However, if that is part of your strategy, which for many of my decks and many of Mike's decks, it absolutely is, now we have extremely potent effects like ramp in mono white for two mana just because oh no maybe we'll get an opponent of basic land we want to do that absolutely it it it, it ensures that we're sticking around it ensures that i'm more likely to get another land later and just as importantly you get to be the guy that sits down and says, hey, I'm sitting here playing my Brian Stout arm <laughs> deck because I would like to throw and yeet stuff, but also I'm going to ramp. Right. No one gets to do that consistently. Land tax isn't... It's it, not, it isn't it's, it's card ramp. It's card ramp. It's, it, 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 yeah, and, and even then, it's, 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 I guess it's card draw, but... Oh, it's it's definitely. I don't know. We, we might have to have I count, another. I count yeah, anything I that's putting something into your hand as card draw, even if it's a tutor. Tutors are card draw. They're really good card draw, but they're card draw, and Lantax is card draw. Fair enough. Okay, we'll 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 get into a diagnose how 
and what qualifies as what. <laughs> but hey, just had guys, a whole go, episode about go. what is and what isn't card draw last month. We don't have to get into that. I know, and 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 I still don't know if I actually understand. But you know sure. what? We'll get there. Um, here's the point, everybody. Go get Guided Passage and go get Oath of Lieges because they're weird cards. They're not expensive, and they do really, really powerful effects for the sake of just just cause you you quoted your numbers i forgot mine guided passages in 1077 decks or as edh rec puts it as that is uh two percent of decks that are at least teamer so basically yep nobody's playing this card and and you said uh your card was oh yeah oh it's 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 a little bit less uh, it's a little bit more than half of a percent uh as a comparison land tax is in 10 percent of all oh i believe it there's a short list of white cards that everybody plays and land tax is definitely on it and oath of leeches is definitely not on that list yeah that said smothering tithe very good card go ahead and keep putting that in all the decks but otherwise start examining some of these you know does good cards and seeing if there's anything you know that you can get close Mm to for maybe you know at this point a tenth of the price. All right, so we're moving on to our last segment here, Alex. And again, part of the joy in doing this with you, and we're going to refer to it more times than I think anybody is going to be comfortable with, especially you, is you're a judge, which means I get to say, I don't understand this. Fix it. Make it make sense in my head. Um, so this is just our um, judge segment. <laughs> We're gonna take some. Uh, we're gonna take some emails. We're gonna take some advice uh, from people as far as you know. If there's an interaction that they're looking into when they're building a deck, or just want to hear more about that interaction and ways that it could work and build off of it, great. We'll give you our email at the end of the podcast here. Um, but you actually told me about one not too long ago, uh, talking about Scourge of the Skyclaves and Nethroy making something minus to turn into the weirdest interaction that I can think of in pretty recent history. Yeah, this interaction is just fantastic. Um, I think it's it's really started to make the rounds now, but uh, even just last week or two weeks ago, uh, people were like, wait, does this, does this work? Is this the thing? Um, so let's, let's talk about these two cards first. Scourge of the Sky Clubs is a demon creature for one in a black. It's a star star. It's kicker for four and a black. When you cast this spell, if it was kicked, each player loses half their life rounded up. And it has a CDA, a characteristic defining ability. Uh, that means that its power and toughness are this value that I'm about to say, no matter where the card is. If it's on the battlefield, if it's in your library, if it's in your graveyard, if it's in exile, no matter where it is, if star star power toughness is equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players. Okay. So on the battlefield, that's acting that's acting quite a bit like Death's Shadow, right? The kind of card that you would need to design your entire deck around to make it work properly. And in Commander, Death Shadow is pretty terrible. Death Shadow is more of like a, a competitive card for modern and, and perhaps legacy. I don't play those formats. Uh, Scourge of the Skyclaves might not be powerful enough for those formats either but that's that's the most direct comparison on the battlefield this thing is kind of a chump uh in commander you don't really want to have this guy <laughs> in the battlefield 
because when when it says its power and toughness are equal to 20 minus the highest life total among players, um, let's just assume the highest life total is 40, because that's a pretty reasonable highest life total. Uh, that would be that's yeah. What you start. That's what we all start with. Uh, 20 minus 40 is negative 20, right? So that means that as a state based action, if Scourge of the Skyclads enters the battlefield, it's just going to go right to the graveyard immediately. Um, and you don't really want that to happen. Okay. You just paid two mana for for a death trigger. That's not what you want to do. However, there is a very, very special interaction, and it has to do with what I was just talking about, the characteristic defining ability that means that if the highest player's life total is, say, 40, that means that Scourge of the Skyclave's power and toughness in your graveyard, in this case, is negative 20, negative 20. And it's in your graveyard already, so it doesn't care that its power is that low. It's already dead. Let's talk about Nephra, Apex of Death. This came out in Ikoria. It's a legendary creature, Cat Nightmare Beast. It's a lot of creature types. It's a 5-5. Five, five it is. With Death Touch and Lifelink. And it has Mutate. Uh, oh, I forgot the casting cost. The normal casting cost is 2 white, black, green. The Mutate casting cost is 4 Celesnia, black, black. Um, that's a hell of a Mutate cost. But uh, it's because of its mutate ability. Whenever this creature mutates, return any number of target cards, target creature cards, with total power 10 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. That's pretty good. You're going to get a lot of stuff. If you have a lot of utility creatures, you're going to get a bunch of utility creatures back. If you have a big stompy boy, big fat guy, you're going to get that back. But how can we make this from pretty good? Because you're paying four, five, six. You're paying seven mana for this, in fact. It's a lot of mana. If we're paying seven mana, we want to really get our money's worth, right? I don't just want 10 sure. power. I want way more than 10 power. And yes, it is possible for this to trigger multiple times. You continue to mutate on this creature, you can get that effect multiple times. But we're just assuming this is, oh, wow. we're just assuming this is your commander and it's not a mutate deck, right? That's, that's something that's fair fair to assume or if it is a mutate deck maybe you there's just not that many mutate creatures right there's only one set that has creatures that have mutate um and there's probably not going to be any more at least not until return to ikoria in six years so what we sure. want to add in this card skirt of the sky claims and this card is this card should be in 100 percent of nethroid decks i'm not 100 percent I'm not exaggerating. And that is because if Scourge of the Skyclaves is one of the creatures that is in your graveyard that you reanimate with Nathor's mutate ability, you get to do fun math. Mike, uh, <laughs> did you ever have a problem when you were in grade school, when you were, when you were first learning about negative numbers and, uh, and adding a negative number? That, that always tripped me up when I was in grade school. It's like, Adding a negative. Why don't they just say minus? Like, just say that. Right. We get to do that here. Because Scourge of the Skyclave's power and toughness is negative 20, negative 20. And we get to add that to the total amount of power of the creatures that we're reanimating with Nethroy. So let's say that that's the first creature we reanimate. We're, we're trying to get to 10 total power. So we started at zero total power. Now we're at negative 20. 
So we oh, have, so at that point, you're looking at like another 30. 30 power left. We just added 20 more, or rather we subtracted 20 from the total. So we're getting triple the value. We're not reanimating 10 power creatures. We're reanimating 30 power of creatures for seven mana. That's spicy. That's what I want to get for seven mana. You're going to get all of your bad boys. You're going to get every utility creature in your graveyard. If you have, if you've milled yourself out, you're going to get probably half of your deck onto the battlefield, or you're going to get your two or three most powerful creatures in the whole deck. You can get Eldrazi Titans out. You can get Terracidons out. You can get all the Stompy Boys. When you execute this combo, you're probably going to win immediately. Does that combo make sense as, as I describe and, it, Mike? No, it does. And 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 the thing that's kind of staggering me on it is the idea of like the fact that it most of the time when you're trying to get something into your graveyard on purpose, it requires the interaction of another card or something along those lines. This is an interaction where it's two mana put this card into your graveyard. As long yeah. as, you know, that's the highest even life total to isn't 20. Or is like, for, for most of yeah, the time, if yeah. you want to get a combo piece into your graveyard, you need to entomb it, or you need another spell that can that can do an entomb-like effect. For this, you just cast it for two mana, it's dead immediately. Woof. Okay, so, um, uh, see, and, and now you're making me feel bad because we're going right back to what I told people not to do because now I want to make this Nethroi deck specifically to put this card in it. But that's that's okay but least, as long as, as long yeah. as if your deck is built around Nethroi, you need to have a full protection package, at least 10 cards that make sure that Nethroi, that you are paying seven mana for, is going to get out of the battlefield and remain on the battlefield. Yep. I, I, all right. I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna be doing some digging tonight to see if that's a, if that's if that's the next deck because I, I have a hard time taking apart any of the ones that I do. So <laughs> this might be a this might be a pretty cool interaction. I have I haven't seen that uh, as, as uh, you said it's been making the rounds. That's not something that it's I've just seen, on, so. uh, on magic um, social media that kind of stuff. And I touched this briefly as, as sure. one last note. Uh, whenever this creature mutates as a trigger, uh, if this creature is part of a mutate stack or a mutation, however you want to call it, and you mutate it again by putting another mutate creature on it, you're going to get that trigger again. That's why the mutate costs seven mana. It's because you can do it again. And if you do it again, right. Scourge of the Skyclaves is in your graveyard again because it died again. So you get to do 30 power with the creatures again. I, 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 I'm just, I keep avoiding buying a hermit druid. Oh yeah, you gotta be careful it with feels it. Like, <laughs> but man, holy cow, that, that's, that just kind of begs for it at that point. Well, cool. Yeah. That, is, that is an interaction that I, uh, I was not aware about, and uh, now I am, and uh, Nethroi has just become a little bit more obnoxious because of a two-mana card. Fantastic. Um, well, Alex, thank you for the uh, insight and uh, uh, literally uh, cat nightmare beast uh, nightmares that I'm going to have for a while <laughs> here. Um, hope hope everybody had a great time listening. Uh, we are going to try and do you know one of these a week. 
Um, if you have any questions or if you want to hear about an interaction you might not know about, uh, you can reach out to us at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. Um, just put in the tagline, you know, if you have a suggestion or if it's something that you want to ask Alex as a judge, uh, let us know. And uh, we'll see if we can get that on the podcast. Um, Alex, thank you very much Happy for your to time. Be here. Thank you, Mike. All right, guys. And just remember, you know, the world is sinking, but Zendikar is rising. We'll talk to you next time, okay? Bye now.